This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we're continuing our uh, series of messages through Exodus called The God Who Saves. We've talked each week about how the Exodus story is not just a story of God leading the people of Israel out of slavery uh, in Egypt and into the promised land, but it's also a story we see replicated over and over and over again in the scriptures and one that we have experienced in our lives as well. That God still sees us when we're in bondage. He still hears us and responds to our cries. He still delivers us. He still provides a way out for us when we feel like we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And today we're going to see that he is still the God who provides in every situation and for every need that we have. This morning we'll be in Exodus chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, you can, you can flip there. And it's basically another story in Exodus of the Israelites finding themselves in a tough spot and having to rely on God. Uh, but what we'll see here in just a minute is their initial response is much like ours. Uh, many of us, when we find ourselves in an unwanted season or dealing with uncertain situations, our hope is to go back, right? And, and so we even have phrases for it of like the good old days. Anybody have some good old days in their life that you would, like just a, a certain, right? Some of us do, and, and it doesn't matter how old you are, like you can be 15 years old and be like, yeah, I have the good old days. You know, back when Kevin Durant played for the Thunder and the iPhone 6 first came out. And like, you don't have to be very old to have your own version of the good old days. Others of us, we have more good old days than others though, right? We have a, a longer, a deeper well to draw from. So your good old days might be, hey, I remember back in 2001 when this happened. I remember in 1991 when this happened. I remember in 1957 when that happened. I remember in 1903 when that, you know, it, it, like we can, we can just keep going back. And, and the more material we have to work with, typically, the more we go back to it. And one of the reasons that we love going back to the good old days, especially when we're experiencing some kind of uncertainty or difficulty, is we know how the good old days turned out. They turned out good, right? We're still here. That's why we remember them. And, and usually the, the more distance we have, the more we remember the good and not the bad. When I was a, a kid, I, I've probably told you this before, but we would go out to my, my grandpa's farm out in western Oklahoma and we would normally only visit over breaks from school. So Thanksgiving break, Christmas break, summer break. So there was always an element of sadness when we left, especially those Thanksgiving or uh, Christmas breaks. And we were sad because we were leaving the farm. And I was also sad because I was going back to school. And so it was just like this double gut punch, right? And my, my grandpa would always try to make it better by telling me, Chris, I just wish I could trade places with you. Some of the best years of my life were elementary school and middle school and high school. I would love to go back and my only job is to learn something every day. You don't know how stressful it is as an adult. It's, you've got it so good right now. Now, from my kid perspective, I thought my grandpa had it pretty good. Because by the time I had come along, he, he wasn't really a farmer anymore. He was a retired farmer. And what that meant was he got in his pickup and drove around the pasture to check on his cows. And then he came back and ate a massive breakfast that my grandma had made. Then he sat in his recliner and he took a nap. Then he woke up and ate a lunch that my grandma had made. Then he went out and he did stuff for a couple hours outside in the pasture, different things here and there, visit his friends, do that. And then he came home and ate a dinner my grandma had made. And then he fell asleep in the recliner again. And then he hung out with some more friends. And then he went to bed and he got up the next morning and did it all over again. And I just thought, I don't... 
Grandpa, I don't know how good your high school was, but it must have been awesome if you want to give up all of this, all of this for that. Right? But, but what he had done is the same thing I now do with my kids. If I look at the current stress and anxiety and uncertainty of my life and think, man, I'd love to go back to where you guys are. Where my only concern is this little grade. My only concern is like, did I make that shot? My only concern is uh, like, does that girl like me or is she annoyed? No, she's annoyed. Okay. Uh, You know, and, and so you can just kind of work your way through that. But what happens is when we look back, we forget. Like my grandpa forgot, I forget all the stress, the anxiety, the uncertainty, the miserableness that is middle school and that sometimes is high school as well, right? And, and so we just know we're not really wanting to go back. But anytime we're faced with uncertainty, there's a temptation of let's go back. I mean, we've, we've all had it this year. Who, who has wished it was 2019 at some point so far this year? Yes, all of us. Why? Because we're tired of hearing. I mean, there, there's just words, right, that like make you vomit, make your skin crawl. Of If I hear pandemic, contact tracing, social distancing, quarantine, shutdown, false positive, any of these things, again, I'm going to lose my mind. I've, Angie and I have had a couple talks where I've told her, like, I'm done. I'm not talking about any of it. I am talking about our kids, and I'm talking about the chiefs for the rest of the year. That's it. Not, and, and Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus and my wife and my kids and the chiefs. Four things, that's it, and basketball. We'll always talk basketball. Five things, that's it, right? Why? Because I'm just done. I'm done with the year. I'm done with the uncertainty. I want to go back to where I know it turns out okay. And we find this pattern being played out over and over and over again, not just in our life, but especially in our relationship with God. Of any time we are brought to a new point of need, one of our initial responses is, I don't want to be here, so I'm just going to go back a few steps where I can control it, where I know the outcomes, and I can, I can just kind of have a better life. In Exodus chapter 16, we find the story of the Israelites. They are now two and a half months out of Egypt. So God has delivered them through the ten plagues. He has provided a way through the Red Sea for them. They've reached a, a point where they have no water in the desert, and God miraculously provides. He leads them to an oasis where they hang out and are refreshed and recover. And then where we pick up our story today, God has led them away from the oasis on towards the promised land, and they're going through the desert. They encounter a position of need, and they react in a way that you and I would if they just kind of start to grumble and complain. So if you have a Bible, we'll pick it up in Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. If not, it's going to be here on the screens for you. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So they have witnessed God's miraculous provision over and over and over again. They have seen that this is his story. He is calling them out. He is leading them. He is guiding them. And yet every time they encounter the slightest hiccup or hardship, their response is, just take us back to Egypt. Right? I mean, we looked at this last week of their response when they're on the banks of the Red Sea is, hey, why did we ever leave Egypt? We told you we didn't want to go. 
And now here they are, and it seems like as they've continued on their journey, their food provisions are starting to wear out. And instead of responding with a hopeful cry that God will once again intervene, they grumble and are offended that they once again have to depend on him. How many times do you and I find ourselves in that same position? Yet just like the Israelites, God leads us into seasons of lack, and in doing so often reveals our desire to go back. We just say, hey, if if I don't have what I need here, I'm just going to go back there to where I I know how it turns out, I know what I can control, and I know how to avoid the path that led me to this point. That, it's, that, that temptation is really a temptation to let today's hardship overshadow God's provision from yesterday and God's promises for tomorrow. And so in, in our concern over what is happening right here and right now, we forget what God has done and we forget what he's promised to do. And yet what we're going to see, that the message, the resounding message of Exodus 16 is when you lack, don't go back. Because God is going to provide right here, right now, in a way that brings him glory and benefits you. God is using the desert to teach the Israelites to depend on a new master. Remember, they are, they are not very far into their walk with him. They haven't walked with him very long at all. And so he's still trying to teach them about who he is, about how he acts, about how he intervenes. And the primary way God is initially teaching the Israelites is through their circumstances. Now, you get to the point in Exodus where Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and God gives them the law. And and now there's this new way that God is communicating with his people. Hey, here's my written word. Here's what you're to do. Here's how you're to live. But to this point in the story in Exodus 16, the primary way God communicates is through the circumstances of the Israelites and God's intervention in those circumstances. Now, you and I, we we live in a space where we have the benefit of both forms of communication. We have the written word of God that reveals his purpose, his plan, reveals Jesus Christ to us, reveals the presence of the Holy Spirit, reveals much of how we're to live and interact with each other, much of what we're to think and believe about God. And yet, God still continues to speak to us through our circumstances. And one of the primary ways that he reveals how much we have to grow in our trust in him and our faith in him is by allowing us to find ourselves in seasons of lack, which forces us to to answer the question of why does it offend me so much to depend on God, right? I, I love having stories of faith. I don't like having experiences that require faith. Anybody else? Like, hey, I, I want the story of God has parted the sea, but can I, can I just like show up and walk through it without the fear or the threat of the army coming after me? I want the story of God's provision without ever having to be in need. And I want the story of God miraculously providing the money I need to pay the bills from the miraculously large savings account he has already provided for me, Right? I mean, just that's, this is how we want. Nobody likes to be brought to a space where we have to acknowledge our need. And, and yet God does it again and again to the Israelites and he allows it to happen to you and me again. And what's he revealing? Why does it offend it so much? It offends us because even if we love Jesus and even if we know we depend on God for everything, we still want to be self-reliant. We still want to be independent. We still want to possess all we need for every situation. 
Are we still, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a uniquely American thing or if it's a human thing, but we just love this idea of like, hey, God has blessed me so much that I've now told him to go worry about everyone else because I got this. I can handle everything I'm facing, and yet God in his kindness, in his graciousness, comes to us and allows us to be brought into these moments to teach us about who he is and about who we are. There's a reason God doesn't take the Israelites straight out of Egypt and into the promised land. In the desert, he's teaching them about who he is. He's teaching them about some of the things they have in their hearts, some wrong beliefs about him, some wrong beliefs about themselves. And often he is leading them into uncomfortable or difficult situations where they are forced to recognize their reliance on him. And he still does the same thing for you and me. He still allows us to be brought into spaces where we have to trust him, where we have to rely on him, where we have to depend on him. And he still has lessons for us to learn in those moments. But we're still tempted in that moment of, I'm just going to go back. But here's the thing. If the Israelites had went back at that moment of, let's just go back to Egypt, then when God delivers them, they still have to come through the desert. There's no way they're going to get to the promised land without learning the lessons of the desert. And for you and I in our relationship with Jesus, there are certain lessons, there are certain things he wants to do in us, teach us, grow in us, that will only happen as we allow him to lead us through difficult and hard moments. And if we choose to run away from them, guess what we're going to have to do in the future? Go through it again, right? He's, he's not going to let you work around it. There's no route around the desert. There's only the route through the desert. And in the desert, what we're intended to learn is that God is gracious. So the Israelites, they grumble, they whine, they complain, and yet what we see is that regardless of how poorly we respond, God still provides richly for the needs that we have. So as you keep reading that story in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. God is revealing himself in the desert to the Israelites as the Lord who provides. But again, the, the Exodus story is not just a story of God getting the Israelites out of Egypt. It's also the story of God getting the Egypt out of the Israelites. And so they have lived in a world where the gods are fickle. Right, where if people don't do the right thing at the right time in the right way, they don't get what they need from the gods. And the Israelites seem to still live in this manner of, well, God hasn't provided, so he must have abandoned us. Let's move on and worship something else. Let's gripe at Moses and Aaron. Let's figure out some way to get back to where we know that life was safe and secure. And yet God is working and moving to teach them and to teach us that his provision, his intervention, his grace is not the result of who we are, what we do, what we say, or how we say it, but is the result of his gracious intervention in our life. God's going to make it even more clear to the Israelites and to us in Exodus 34, where he describes himself as the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. See, most of the time when we think of God providing for us, we're thinking of our physical needs. God provides money, God provides health, God provides food. But what we're learning in the, the Exodus story is that God's first provision is always a provision of grace. 
It's the story of God intervening in our life in a way we do not expect, in a way we do not deserve, despite our best efforts to repel him and his promises from us. When the Israelites meet their need, their response is to grumble, to complain, and to plot to go back. And God's response is not to pour out his judgment on them. He addresses their response, but he chooses to still act in abundant love and merciful provision. And you and I still have the same experience today. When we're in these seasons of need, we are just as weak and unreliable as the people of Israel. We are just as given to whining, to complaining, to plotting how we can get control of this situation back. And yet we find comfort knowing we're not the first to react poorly, we're not the last, and God still works and moves with gifts of grace for us in these situations. God doesn't ignore their poor behavior. He definitely addresses it, but he also doesn't hold it against them. It's a reminder to us that in Exodus, God is the main character. It's not the Israelites, it's not Moses, it's not Pharaoh, but it's God, and it's the story of his grace, it's the story of his merciful provision, and it's the story of his daily experience of giving grace to his people. So if you look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, it says, the people go out each day and are to gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. So again, God is getting the Egypt out of the Israelites not just getting the Israelites out of Egypt. And so what what he's telling them here is not only am I going to come and provide for you, but I'm going to come and provide for you in a way that you have to depend on me every single day. Right? And so it's a story of God's grace being given to us every day. So the Israelites have to go out every morning. The manna falls on the ground. They collect just what they need for that day. On the sixth day of the week, the day before the Sabbath, they collect enough for two days. But every day they go and collect it. Every day they consume all that God has provided. And every night they go to bed having to trust that in the morning, God will provide once again. Pointing us to this idea of when God sets us free and calls us into a relationship with him, it's not so that he can say, okay, I've set you free. Now, good luck and be on your way and I'll meet you at the end. But it's so he can walk with us every single day, every step of the way. God doesn't just have like a a five-year plan for your life and he hopes you hit the big goals and we'll check in at the end and see how it's going. But he has the five-second every moment of every day. There's a purpose, there's a plan, there's a leading, there's a guiding, which means there are always going to be spaces in my life where I need to experience God's grace. Now, for, for most all of us this morning, it's not going to be with the provision of our food like it was for the Israelites. And I would say that, that most of us in the room do not know what it's like to wake up in the morning with empty cupboards and cabinets and refrigerators, to have them supernaturally filled, to eat all that we need to where it's exhausted by the night, and to go to bed again thinking, Lord, where's it coming from tomorrow? Some of us maybe have been in seasons financially where you have been there of, hey, I, I don't know where, I don't know where the, the grocery money's coming from. I don't know where the rent money's coming from. I don't know how we're going to be able to afford to do anything for anyone tomorrow. And God has provided. But for, for many of us, at least, because of where God has blessed us and allowed us to live, we do not have this daily concern for our physical needs. 
we generally know, I'm going to wake up in the morning, I'm going to have a home to live in, I'm going to have a job to go to, I'm going to have food to eat, right? All of these types of things. And yet there are other spaces in our life where we need that daily grace from God. And yet we, we kind of shy away from those experiences thinking this is somehow proof that something's wrong with me. Hey, every day I wake up and I've got to choose. I need God's joy in my life today. Every day I wake up, maybe it's, a, maybe it's an area of physical strength. You think, I, I need it again today. Maybe it's a, a battle of loneliness. Maybe it's an internal struggle. Maybe it's a situation at work or something that's happening in your marriage or with your kids or at school. In all of those spaces where it's just this ongoing situation that you need God's grace, we're tempted to see those as proof of God's absence instead of the space where he is dedicated to showing his presence every single day. It's never a bad thing to have to depend on God every day, right? And and it's challenging for many of us because God has blessed us so tremendously that we don't worry about our physical needs to begin to live like he's just a little add-on to our life. And And so he does allow places and spaces. He allows people and situations to come in and to remind us, hey, you don't just need me on the big days but you need me every day. You don't just need me on the moments where you're stuck in slavery or you're on the banks of the sea, but you need me every single day. The relationship Jesus is calling us into is not a mountaintop relationship where, hey, just on Sundays we go and kind of check in and then we're good for the week or just these big events in our life, we come and find him and he helps us, but it is an everyday, step-by-step, all-through-the-desert kind of experience. He's the God of grace every single day. And so you might have some spaces in your life right now that you are really frustrated and aggravated with that God has not taken care of. And my encouragement to you is, is yes, keep praying for his complete healing. Yes, keep praying for his complete provision. Keep praying for the complete reconciliation and restoration in that relationship. But in the meantime, embrace your need as a place to experience his daily grace. And he'll come and he'll pour out his love, he'll pour out his provision, he'll pour out his mercy in ways that transform your life. God is really serious about teaching us to trust him and obey him even when it doesn't make sense. And to do so, it often means that he has to lead us into unwanted seasons and into unforeseen situations. And in those spaces, it's it's really hard for us to react appropriately all the time, right? We, We blame God we blame others, we blame ourselves, we whine, we complain, we grumble, and yet God again and again still provides for us. As we keep reading the, their story of the, the Exodus, the story of the Israelites in the desert, in verse 13 it says, that evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is a bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. So in the face of the Israelites whining, complaining, groaning, grumbling, God's response is provision. Now, Now for some of us who maybe have a little more bent to we love the rules Right? We, love the, um, we love the idea that if you do certain things, you get certain results. 
this story should offend you. Because the Israelites don't do anything right. And they get everything they wanted. If you saw a parent behaving this way with their children, you'd be like, hey, I just think you should know you're raising a terrorist. Like, that child is, at best, he's going to be a, a, a dictator of some small country. You know, at, at worst, he's going to torment his teachers for the rest of his life. And his spouse is definitely going to blame you for everything. Right? That, like, as a parent, you know, when your kids act in horrible ways, the response is not like, do you want to go to Disneyland? Right? It's like, do you want to go to your room forever? Uh, you know, it, it, so you just, you understand this. And, and we read this story and it's like, God, how many times so far has he provided? Ten plagues, free passage out of Egypt, dry land through a Red Sea. He's taken nasty water and made it drinkable in the desert. He's provided them rest at an oasis. He's per- permanently severed the ties with Pharaoh and their slaveholders. There's no threat of having to go back. And now, again, one more time where they're, cho- where they're allowed to depend on God and their response is, let us go back to Egypt. And God's response is, here's bread and quail. It doesn't makes sense. Unless we understand that Exodus is not the story of the Israelites, Exodus is a story of God. He's revealing to us, this is who I am. And he's also revealing to us, this is who you are. As you and I read the story of the Exodus, uh, we don't get to like sit on the side of God and be like, yeah, what's wrong with those people? Right? Why do they keep doing that? They should know better by now. No, we take our place with the Israelites. We're saying, what's wrong with us? Why do we keep doing this? We should know better by now. We should know that every opportunity of need is a place where we can experience God's grace. We should know that in these moments, we should cry out instead of grumbling. We should learn. But the great news is, even if we don't, God is still gracious. God still provides. God still leads. So, so you can keep reading that. Verse 13, it says, That evening, the quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And then as you skip down to verse 17, it says, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. That God's response to the Israelites whining, complaining, grumbling is to give them what they've asked for. And again, it's not to approve their actions. It's not to say, hey, uh, Christian Chapel, this is the model. If you need something, just grumble a little bit. This is not a scriptural principle of the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's not it at all. But in fact, it's a statement of when you are faithless, he remains faithful. God is dedicated to his glory, to his purpose, to his plan. And that involves bringing you and me out of where we are and into a continual experience of his life. So he's going to lead us to places where he knows we're going to fail. And then he's going to respond with grace. He's going to respond with peace. He's going to respond with provision. It's a great reminder to us that wherever God leads, God provides. That if he's the one, now, now the Israelites, again, they should have got this by this point. There is literally a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that lead them through the desert. They have a physical sign of God's presence with them. And so they should know if this is where God stopped, then this is where God is going to provide. And our only option is to stay here until he does. So, so for some of us this morning, you know 
you are following God's plan. He has spoken to you. He directed you into this marriage. But now it's hard. He, he showed you this is the home to buy. Now it's falling apart. This is the business to go into. And now the clients are drying up. These are the children to have. And enough said, right? (laughs) Just all of these spaces where you're like, Lord, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. This is where you directed me. Why is it so hard? Why isn't it easier? Why don't I have more money? Why don't people like me more? Why don't I feel stronger? Why is it so hard? And in that space, it's like, well, I I know God directed me here, but I was not counting on this, so I'm just going to go back. Maybe just one step, maybe just two steps, maybe five steps, maybe all the way back to Egypt. But what we're learning here is wherever God leads, God provides. And so if he has led me here, my job is to stay here until I experience his graceful provision. There are some Christian cliches out there that that I try not to share, but sometimes they're they're too good not to. Have you ever heard the one that uh, if it's God's will, it's God's bill? Anyone ever heard that one? No? Okay, I should have just said it like I came up with it then, because that would have... That would have probably been better even than what's on the screen there. So let's just pretend that says, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. What that means is wherever God leads and directs, he is taking the responsibility of providing for you. He did not call you into this marriage to abandon you and watch it be destroyed. He did not give you these kids for you to feel completely overwhelmed and not have any idea whether to go front, back, left, or right. He did not lead you into this home, into this job, into this school, into these friendships, into any of these places where you are sure and certain God has directed me here. He did not take you there to abandon you. He took you there so you could experience his merciful provision. And in some of those spaces, he's allowed us to be stretched beyond our natural abilities. But it's not so we will give up. It's not so we will go back. It's so we will learn wherever God leads, God provides And that's the story of the Israelites. God provides man, literally their food falls from heaven onto the ground every single day. Rain or shine, winter, spring, summer, fall, over and over and over again. They just keep experiencing it. Now, now God's original plan is to provide for the Israelites manna from heaven just until they reach the promised land. Then when they reach the promised land, they are supposed to go and take possession of the land that God has given them. And then the manna is going to stop and they're going to enjoy the fruit of the land, right? It's the land flowing with milk and honey. It's it's the land of abundance. It's the land where their flocks and their herds will prosper, where their crops will never fail. It's this wonderful promise of God. So he's going to get them there and then he's going to change the way he provides for them. But we'll, we'll see next week the Israelites, they come right up to the edge of the promised land and they're still eating the manna. They still have this daily reminder of God's grace. They still have this supernatural sign that, that they're literally putting in their mouths, the mouths of their children every day to remind them God sees us, he knows us, he provides for us in ways that we cannot explain. And yet next week we'll see they stand on the edge of the promised land and what is their response? There's giants in the land. We can't have that. Now again, If this is the story that you and I are writing, this is the point where we're like, that's it. 
I'm done with you fools. Right? Like, I, I told you I was bringing you here. You, you came out of slavery. You walked through the sea. I gave you water from a rock in the desert. I send food from the skies every day onto the ground. If I've told you this is your land, it's your land. And yet, what is God's response? It's not to say, okay, fine, now, now just deal with it on your own. But this time, when they reject him at the edge of the promised land, there is a more serious consequence. He tells them, hey, all of you adults, you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. None of you are ever going to live in the promised land. But even as they're sent out, God doesn't stop providing. You, you can read there at the end of Exodus chapter 16 and verse 35, it says, The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So see, the, the way you and I would interpret the story, at least the way I would interpret it, is it's God's statement of not only does he provide wherever he leads, but it's also a statement of even when we know where he leads and we willfully and intentionally choose to walk another path that leads us away from his purposes, away from his plans, that spits in the face of what he has in store for us and says, I'm going to choose my own path. I'm going to go my own way. In that space, God provides. So it's not just that he provides wherever he leads. It's that he provides wherever we are, which is such a wonderful encouragement to us. Again, life with God is not about your ability to get it right in every season and every moment. It's about his ability to redeem all the moments for his purpose and his plan. Now, now still, you know, God's plan is, hey, when you're on the edge of the promised land, just go on in. Right? Just, just go take possession. And we'll get there next week. But, but what I want you to understand today is even in those moments where you know what you were supposed to do and you did the opposite. And now you're in a position of need and lack that is entirely of your own making. Now the marriage is a disaster and you know it's my fault. Right? Now the kids don't want anything to do with you and you know, it's, well, it's because I was absent. Now you lost the job and it's proof well, because I was bad at my job. I was stealing money from the company. Right? Now everywhere around you, you see lack and you know it's because you have taken a scorched earth policy to life. You've pursued sin. You've pursued selfishness. You've decided I'm going to do it my way and you have brought all of the destruction that that way of life brings. And in that space, God's response is to graciously provide for your needs. To say, hey, yeah, you, you, you know, maybe you're not in the promised land. Maybe you're out here wandering in the desert still. But I'm still the God who provides there. I'm still the God who comes. I'm still the God who restores. I'm still the God who renews. I'm still the God who is abounding in love. I'm still the compassionate one. I'm still the one who forgives sin and wickedness and rebellion. I'm still the one who calls you from where you are and sets you back on the path towards the land I have called you to live in. This morning, we're going to receive communion together. I hope you grabbed one as you came in this morning. If not, if you'll just slip your hand up, some of the, the ushers would be happy to bring one to you. As you get those out and, and peel open that bread, it's a reminder to us that Jesus comes as God's ultimate provision for us. That his gift of grace to us is not just the provision of our physical needs, but it's the provision of his spirit for every need we have in our life. And so he comes, no matter where we are, if, we're, if you're in the spot today where you know all of the need and lack I have is because I followed the Lord to this point, or if you're in the spot of 
all of the need and lack I have is because I've rejected the Lord to this point. In either space, the response is still Jesus. God's provision of grace is one of daily grace for you and me, one that we don't deserve, one that we don't earn, one that we simply receive. And so this morning as we receive the bread and the cup, we're receiving it as a reminder that all we need, Christ has provided And that his movement towards us has nothing to do with who we are or how much we've earned it, but everything to do with who God is and how much he desires us to walk in relationship with him. And so over every addiction, over every hardship, over every space, where whatever your meat or manna might be this morning, that you're crying out and saying, Lord, are you going to provide? Whatever space you're tempted to say, it's too hard here, I'm just going to go back. God's answer to you this morning is the person and presence of Jesus Christ. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you, bringing life to your mortal body, bringing life to your relationships, bringing provision to your need, bringing relief to your distress. It all comes from Jesus. And our only response is to receive it right where we are. And so this morning, we're going to receive the bread and the cup together. And as we do, my prayer for you is it is a sign and symbol of God's presence and provision in your life. We take the bread with me. And the cup. We stand with me. The band's going to come back this morning. They're going to lead us in a final song. As they do, I want to give us an opportunity to respond to what God is saying to us. So maybe that's to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe there's some real seasons of need, some situations of lack that you need God's miraculous intervention. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you, you can head out the back doors into the prayer room. Pastor Rennie, our prayer team, will be waiting to meet with you there and pray those prayers of faith and provision for you. If you're online, you can drop those off at christianchapel.com slash prayer. One of our pastors will be in touch this week. But we want to take a, a moment here together to, first of all, give us a chance to respond and to cry out and receive God's provision. And then secondly, for the rest of us who remain in the room, to pray and, and, and believe and to sing this final song as a declaration of God's faithful victory in our lives. That in every way we lack, Jesus is sufficient. In every space we need, he will come through. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.